So this week's Pansha is a Pansha that calls for high comedy. It calls for storytelling. I think it actually would need a puppet show. It's the one moment in Torah where a she-ass, or any animal for that matter, opens its mouth and speaks truth to power. Oi, so next year, God willing, there will be a puppet show. Um, but for this year, that's, that's not where things went. Every morning, Jews begin our praise practice with the words, Baruch she'amar v'haya ha'olam. Blessed is the one who spoke and the world came into being. There's a playful Hasidic misreading, rereading of the verse that says, a baruch, a blessing that is said and creates a whole world, now that's a baruch. <laughs> Do people get that? Okay. We believe in the power of blessing, even to create a world. We also believe in the potency of curse and its ability to destroy a world. In this week's Parsha, we meet Balak, the king of Moab. He's been watching as one by one his neighbors have been beaten, uh, completely destroyed by the Israelites, um, as the Israelites are, as we're moving through the desert. And he understands that he needs to do something serious before he's next in line. And he understands the power of a curse. He knows that if he hires Bil'am, a top-tier excoriator, a creme de la creme of curses, then with one foul condemning word from him, Balak's army can just saunter in and flick Israel off the map. So Bil'am Bil arrives in Moab after quite a long journey that will be described next year. He steps alone onto a cliff overlooking a section of the Israelite community. Balak, the king, waits nervously behind by the smoking altar. Bil'am opens his mouth, venom ready to burst from his salivary glands. He opens his mouth even wider, but something's not right. The synapses break, the words in his mind bump against the hard palate, and these other words that are definitely not his words stream through his lips. And these other words are pure bracha, poetic blessings spilling out the mouth of Bil'am onto Israel below. Divine intervention reversed the curse. The 13th century Spanish commentator Abarbanel presses pause right here in the story and asks a great question. Why did God prevent Bil'am from cursing the Israelites? Why should they have cared about his curse? As long as the Lord blessed God's people with peace. In other words, God is with the people, so what's the big deal if a charismatic soothsayer comes along shouting epithets? Across time and space, the 14th century Rabbi Yosef Ibn Kaspi responds, he says, the curse of Bil'am had no objective power. Its effect must only be considered from the point of view of those receiving the curse, i.e. the Israelites. According to Ibn Kaspi, Bil'am's words weren't laced with magical powers. No, the destructive potency of curse 
is in the reception. We hear words of condemnation, of curse, and these words colonize our ears until we can't hear anything but curse. Whether based on religion, color, sexual orientation, or whether it's a monogrammed, personalized epithet that we receive, we internalize the hatred. The damage runs deep and the scars hold memories. But in this particular moment in the Parsha, God protects Israel from the destructive power of the curse. They never hear it. We hear it, but the Israelites only hear blessing. The rabbis look at God's curse to blessing intervention and ask a technical question. What exactly was this divine mechanism that stopped the flow of vitriol in its tracks and drew out benediction? The Torah text says, Vayasem devar am." God placed a devar in Bil'am's mouth. The Pshat translation is, God placed a word in Bil'am's mouth. But devar, in addition to meaning word, can also mean thing or object. Our sages playfully read that God inserted a thing into Bil'am's mouth, a tool that purged hate speech. So what was the thing? Some say that the Holy One of Blessing inserted a hook into the seer's mouth and pulled it this way and that until it formed the divine words. Others say that God placed an angel, an orthodontic angel inside, <laughs> whose job it was to transmute each toxic thought in Bil'am's mind into a rhythmic blessing. I heard an even more powerful transformation of curse two weeks ago. More miraculous than a mercenary soothsayer with an angel in his mouth. The families of Emmanuel Ayami Church, the families of the nine Neshamot murdered, had every cause to curse. As they stood in the courtroom, they had every cause to stick each word like a dagger to the killer. And yet the family members stood, one by one, facing the image of this killer, expressing their pain and asking God to forgive his soul. They encouraged him to repent. Bethany Middleton Doctor, the sister of DePayne Middleton Doctor, said, I acknowledge that I am very angry but she taught me that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hating. No room for hating. This to me is Ruach Elohim. This was the spirit of God. A community that faced the death of their loved ones and had every cause to curse, but chose to send back a blessing. Not like Bil'am's blessing by force, but with strength and faith, there's no room for hating. Last year on this Shabbat, we learned that the three boys, Naphtali, Eyal, and Gilad, had been murdered in Israel. The mothers of these boys did not stand up and curse. Instead, they offered the blessed words, no more, please, no more, 
Were I in Rachel Frankel's shoes? Were I in Bethany Middleton Doctor's shoes? Would I have the same strength? Please, God, that we never have to answer or face that question. But there are places in our own lives where out of hurt, envy, fear, curses come readily to our lips. My father, as many of you know, is my Devar Torah Chavruta. He's the best. He reminded me today that the place where the curse impulse often sticks the most is towards our family members. Being on vacation two weeks ago with my family, I felt it very clearly. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. <laughs> Perhaps because we assume that we're stuck with each other, the things that we will say to our parents, our siblings, our children, and our spouses can be the most hurtful and quite curse-like. One of the most pastoral, one of the most striking experiences that I've had as a rabbi is a pastoral one, when I've encountered how many families are estranged from each other. Most recently, at a funeral, where the family had spent years not speaking, somehow they were able to stand at the funeral and bless each other. But why wait? I want to charge all of us to learn from those who had the ability, who found the ability to bless in the most unimaginable circumstances. And in our day-to-day, -day, in our familial interactions, to practice that transformation. We don't have hooks or angels in our mouths on most days, but what mechanism resides in you that has the ability to neutralize the curse, the curse that builds up like bile, the ability to go deep and dig for a blessing? So I want to end tonight with a blessing embedded in the founding of our country, a blessing that is sadly still aspirational, but bears repeating often. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all people are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Please rise.